Hello, and welcome to Metachemistry. This is episode 55. In tonight's episode, we will be doing a year-end review, just taking a stock of the comings and goings as it relates to infinity. When this podcast releases to the general public, it will be the day after Christmas and right before the New Year's. And so we look at this as an opportunity to uh, take the wide-angled lens on what all transpired in the game of Infinity and what our hopes and dreams are as it relates to the coming year 2023. But before we get into all of that, we want to take a moment to thank Mythic Games for sponsoring the podcast. Mo Games is an online supplier of all things Infinity. As part of its sponsorship of Metachemistry, Mo will be providing a discount code to its store available to all our patrons, as well as a $40 gift card that will be raffled off to our community once a month. Make sure to like our Facebook page and join our Discord to ensure you are entered to win. What's better than games? Mo Games. So let's check in with our lineup for our episode tonight. Our lineup tonight is Devin, Ian, and myself, starting with Devin. What's going on, man? You uh, were mentioning a lot, lot happening up north um, in the meta it, here in Denver that you participate in. Uh, I know you've been at the heart of a lot of that with some uh, Grow League. Want to give us a quick update with that? Yeah, the the league is going really well. Uh, it's on OTM, so we were able to add this as uh, an official ITS event, uh, partially to kind of give that experience, because uh, many of the players are new players, and some players are players who have kind of jumped out of the game for a little while or have uh, otherwise not really been playing much just because there hasn't been as strong of a local scene prior to this. Uh, and since uh, COVID restrictions, we were getting you know two to four people a night uh, on our regular game night, and now we're pretty regularly at a dozen to sometimes uh, sixteen or eighteen people, uh, which has been which has been really great. That's been fantastic to see. I'm really excited to see more people in the local scene. Excited to have new players. Uh, old players returning to the game and kind of exploring things, especially kind of at low points values. It's been interesting to see, you know, how things are different, especially for older players who, you know, a lot of veteran players don't tend to play 150, 200 point games and the like. So it's a nice fresh perspective on the game almost as we kind of keep ramping up in points. But yeah, it's been going well I've Been calling it the training incident league. And yeah, if you wanted to check progress, you could on OTM. That's funny. I didn't even think it's about there. that. You could. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I was reflecting with you before we started recording that um, prior to COVID, up north had a, a big volume of players back a couple years ago in that 15 to 20 range. Uh, Shane was involved with a lot of the organizing back then. He ended up moving to Indianapolis, and then COVID happened at the same time. So that seemed to scuttle a lot of the energy that was going on. And again, it was a lot of newer players up there. Um, so it really is good to see the northern scene kind of bounce back, and I certainly would attribute it just it certainly helps to have someone organizing and coordinating like you're doing um do you would you say that that's like what were the factors that kind of caused things to build on themselves at hobby town i think a part of it is having the league obviously is a big draw because it's and i think that there's a couple facets for that i think part of it is that it's organized so that people know that they're going to get regular games at these intervals uh, we're doing pairings and whatnot because we're treating it like a normal ITS event uh, as kind of an onboarding tool for new players so they can kind of see what that scene is like. And so having a bunch of new people to potentially play or for older players, uh, potentially bringing out a new army or something they haven't played in a while. Uh, so I think it was mostly that people knew they were going to get games. It's one thing to 
throw a, a shout out in your local forum, whatever that whatever form that happens to be. Uh, you know, we use Discord for this here. Uh, it's one thing to say, hey, I'm looking for a game, and somebody may say something and they may not. But having a bunch of organized games on the same night, I think brings a lot of energy to it. And that structure kind of helps, um, you know, kind of get the ball and keep the ball rolling in this case so far. Yep. So that's pretty exciting. Um, I'm curious where where it all goes. How far into the Grow League are you? So we uh, have been alternating weeks. Uh, so the first round was three weeks long, and then the rest are two weeks. And that was to accommodate because Thanksgiving uh, here landed on one of those weeks. Uh, so we're, we've finished two rounds, and we have pairings went out today for round three. And so by the time this airs, I'm guessing we'll be into, we'll be finishing round four or maybe going into round five, depending on how that lands. Well, that sounds awesome, uh, Devin. I'm really encouraged by what's going on with that Grow League. Uh, speaking of which, our other host of the podcast, uh, Ian, you actually, I think, have been a part of this Grow League a little bit. Is, have you been a part of a Grow League before? Yeah, yeah. I've done a couple of these in the past. Uh, they usually fizzle out before we get all the way through because uh, for some reason getting people to play five games is like pulling teeth at times. But uh, this one I actually have a little bit more hope on because we've only had a, a couple of drops so far. Everybody else has been pretty on board. I'm curious, what's it been like for you, a veteran player, playing at the low point? You know, Devin mentioned this, playing at the low point total of 150, 200 points. What's that been like? Uh, it's interesting. It's not to my taste, uh, for sure. Uh, even at 150 points, I, you know, I still was squeezing like 14 orders out, um, doing at 200, you know, it was about the same, just, you know, a little more effective stuff. Uh, Devin's been kind enough to at least to start off, uh, pairings up against other veteran players. <laughs> at least so we get the, the, the bigger points value kind of balances out. Um, but I gotta say that, like, the, the biggest issue. I have with the lower points values isn't necessarily the points value itself. It's the change in table size. Uh, I feel is actually detrimental uh, because especially at the 150, the table is so small that you're just on top of each other, like right off the bat. And whoever goes first stands a very, very good chance of doing enough damage to their opponent that their opponent you know, doesn't really get a, a, a solid first turn. Um, there's just not enough distance. There's not enough, uh, you know, kind of stuff in the way to keep people from getting right up on top of you. So I said, not quite to my taste, but once we get into, you know, like, like 250 is, I can't remember if it's on a full table or at least it's close to. So, you know, you're getting right into back up into the normal points values. Uh, and I think then it'll it'll be kind of fine and giving everybody uh, used to the system. So, do you feel like good. chain rifles rule the day? Not necessarily. Um, honestly, Spitfires, the mid-range gun. Well, because they're they're good range. You know, it's eight to twenty-four inches, and you're starting off already in that good range in a a consolidated field where there's not a whole lot of room to kind of maneuver. So the guy with the Spitfire and I've been both on the giving and the receiving end of this over the last couple games, the guy with the Spitfire just wipes the field. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, been... it's, it's, it's a range issue to me. Yeah. It's most egregious on the 150 points because at that stage, you're playing at a 24 by 32 inch board. And you're playing uh, deployment zones on the short edges, of course. But yeah, from 200 uh, to 250, those will all be on 32 by 48. 
which at least then you have the length of a regular board. And then 300, we play on uh, four foot square boards again, of course. But uh, yeah, I've seen a lot. Uh, I've been trying to gather some analytics on on the game, so I'll be interested to see what the results show once all said and done. But yeah, early rounds, especially round one, uh, elite melee units actually did really well. Like things like uh, Hippolyta or um, Yojimbo and Raul Specter, things like that, were actually uh, quite potent. Did you hear from uh, the constituents of the league? how their experiences were going like how were people reacting to some of the the toys that were be- getting trotted out so yeah so i've been uh, i have a battle report form that everybody uh, fills out the end of each round uh, part of that is kind of a player sentiment sort of thing part of it's sportsmanship part of it's uh, objective related stuff of course for scoring but overall yeah i think it's i think it's just People, uh, for newer players, is kind of climbing up the learning curve. And for older players, it's, this board's too small. But really, only the first board is much smaller. Um, I mean, they're narrower on 200 points and up. So I think that'll be less of an issue. But Are you, are you yeah. suggesting that Ian's getting grumpy? Is that what you're suggesting? I mean, that wasn't directed towards anyone in particular. And Ian may or may not have been in that group that had mentioned it. I'm not at liberty to say. <laughs> cool, cool. All right. So we're going to do a little bit of, um, as I mentioned in the opening, a little bit of a recap on the year and just kind of touch on some of the highlights of the game and its evolution over the last year. We identified a handful of different things worthy of mention. It's easy for the hype to build on something and then everything moves on and you don't ever take stock of whether or not the changes to the game or new additions to the game were successful or things like that. So end of year might be a chance to do a quick uh, autopsy on the year. So thought uh, we would start off with looking at Morats at the beginning of the year. We had, um the morats kind of revamped and so ian maybe you could give us a little bit of historical context on where the morats were going into where where they were at as a faction going into the the year and as the hype train built around them how do you see that the revamp went and yeah maybe we could talk then a little bit about where the faction sits today so Morats, in my opinion, have always been a strong sectorial. They're not necessarily, you know, N3, early N4, they weren't necessarily a flashy sectorial, but they were definitely a strong sectorial. They were uh, more brute force, but very forgiving on account of most every model you have has veteran. So they don't care if your lieutenant dies. They're always going to be, you know, even in loss or retreat, you're always going to have your kind of your regular orders thing and get to do what you need to do. It's interesting you say that because I remember at the in N th- at the beginning uh, or the end tail end of N three and the beginning of N four, a lot of people griping about um, Morat's not being a good place, but or mm-hmm. not strong. Oh, oh I, I disagree with that. Uh, they're actually one of the factions that I've tend to recommend to new players because with that prevalence of veteran, they were something that uh, you were a little more forgiving when you're learning the game. So, you know, your opponent doesn't just headhunt your lieutenant right off the bat. And then you have a, you know, a bad game and it's over in a turn or two. You can still put up some fight. You can still learn the mechanics. Uh, Their toolbox was really limited before. But their toolbox was limited. Like I said, they weren't flashy. They were very direct in your face. This is, you know, what you see is what you get. You know, not having camo, really. Not having, uh, you know, just a ton of the the different toys. So, with, you know, Adepticon this year was the big Morat re-release. 
And in addition to new models, there's new rules. Now, the models themselves, uh, I liked the old style models. I thought that the aesthetic was very, very good. I liked how it fit in, like it looked like Morats, but it fit in aesthetically with the rest of the combined range. And that was fantastic. The new models, they're good. Don't get me wrong. They are good. But I'm not a huge fan of some of the aesthetic change. They uh, look a little more generic on many of the uh, the design choices than I would prefer. But it is what it is. That's going to be personal preference. And I own them all, mix and match, don't care. It's fine. As far as rules, they did get a little bit flashier. And they got a few more tools. But the big thing with Morats uh, that is this came out at the same time as the kind of the fire team changes, which we'll get into next. But the big thing was is uh, with those fire team changes and how they operate with the composition bonuses and stuff is that the Morats got to showcase some kind of new ideas that were still still waiting to see trickle down into some of the other sectorials um and primarily uh, what i'm talking about is like the tarlock fire teams where if you made a tarlock fire team then you know everybody in it would get uh was it terrain jungle so it's a very minor bonus but it was a thematic bonus uh kind of thing that i'm hoping to see more of in other sectorials something you know, relatively inconsequential that may only show up once in a while, but it's very flavorful. And, you know, hey, if that terrain does show up for something, cool, you get a little bit of a bonus. It's not overly powerful, but it's cool and flavorful. Uh, they got some new units, uh, like the Rindak, which has been awesome. Uh, the thing is, everybody that's been playing it has said that it's just an absolutely awesome beat stick and does all kinds of stuff and just kind of a nice smoothing out of some of the rough spots in it, giving them more options and really kind of pulling the sectorial together into a greater whole, not only uh, as a sectorial, but with how they interact with the rest of combined army vanilla and onyx. So I thought it was a pretty fantastic release. I know a lot of people jumped on them at the major tournaments uh, to more or less uh, levels of success, but I think they, they went from strength to strength overall. That makes sense to me. You know, it's hard to evaluate a faction in its relative power level, to use a gamey term, but Sometimes it's hard to evaluate how good a faction is when it's an older faction. Uh, if it feels a little dated, a lot of people will eschew it because they don't. They just it just feels old, and they want to play with newer, f- fancier stuff or better mm-hmm. models or whatnot. Um, and it's not even like getting into whether or not the faction's good or not. It's just it just feels a little dated and people won't play it. And then yep. you get a re a re-release or revamp. Yeah. And there, and everyone's putting it on the board again. And then yeah, you well, get, and a, a prime example of that is, you know, my, I'm excited for if they get around to doing uh shock army of Contesimento again, because on paper, it's got some holes. It's missing some stuff compared to the other Pando sectorials. Cause it's now the oldest unupdated one. But what's already there as a framework in N4 is absolutely fantastic and kind of terrifying. So I'm looking at, you know, what would they change? What would they add? How would they bring this in together when they get around to that revamp at some point? And I think a lot of people would jump onto playing that when that happens. Sure. Devin, what were the standout changes with the Morat release for you? Yeah, I think that it was kind of interesting because there was a large influx of profiles. Like some of the previous revamps, rather, haven't necessarily accompanied, haven't been accompanied by as many models in some cases. But this felt like a pretty large wave. I was also 
kind of surprised to see such a big aesthetic departure from their previous iteration, which had felt relatively recent, all things considered. Yeah, like certainly beginning of N3, right? Or am I wrong about that? Uh, I think it was, it might have even been a little later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was like mid N3 even, I think. Because it's like the Raziat was towards the end of N3. And then we got new Raziats. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's odd. Mostly because I feel like some of the sculpts I really like. Like the and some I don't know if I found any that I necessarily like better than the N3 sculpts. Uh, some maybe. I don't know. I really like the new Rakdarak quite a bit, actually. Uh, the Zerat design, I think, is super cool, but there wasn't an N3 Zerat model. Uh, they were still running off their, their previous iterations. Well, And, and so, I agree with you on the Rakdarak, because now he looks distinct mm-hmm. and identifiable as a Rakdarak versus the old one, which basically just looked like a more at Vanguard with like an extra armor plate on his shoulder. A little bit. <laughs> they were very, almost too similar. Yeah, and so I think that that's cool to see a revamp. It's fun to get new models for a faction and to get new updates and to, I think, in a lot of ways, kind of alluding to what you were saying earlier, kind of use a lot more of the current design space. Like here we're seeing, you know, Kaidtox with Chain Rifle Plus Two Burst. Or we're seeing Rindex with dodge plus three, minus three. Or, um, you know, Kurgots with plus one, what is it, plus one damage, plus one, yeah, plus one damage, uh, AP combi rifles. And things like that that didn't exist before. Like the, the language of Infinity didn't allow that thing to happen mm-hmm. uh, prior to this edition. So I think that was kind of interesting to see some of that space kind of explored. Also, the fire teams, them being so incredibly flexible, and more importantly, being one of the few sectorials that allows additional Harris teams, yeah. gives them just monstrous presence on the board. There were definitely things in there that I saw that I don't really feel like they needed. Uh, <laughs> the Dartok comes to mind. That doesn't feel like a very Marat unit to me. Uh, not to say that Marat shouldn't be able to have cyber, ha- cyber hacker, right. cyber combat team. It's like, sure, they can have units that are hackers, but I feel like that will commonly be a secondary role for them. It feels more, especially such this kind of optimized profile, right? Where you're having a, a hacker with a Trinity upgrade and you have high BTS and you have, you know, decent whip and pitchers for the mid to low 20 points like that type of unit with a couple variations has been popping up a lot actually uh, in infinity semi recently well this year yeah. i guess we'll say yeah so uh, dartox jazz uh, pandora um, uh, the i guess this was prior but the denavas like things like that where they're inexpensive, like hyper-focused hacking units. There's been a lot really? more that kind of fill that mold. L12's got a couple of them. Oh yeah, you know. the Cyber Ghost. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, the and I don't mind those profiles inherently, but it does seem odd for a Marat unit. It yeah. just doesn't strike me as something that feels like it belongs in the faction, really. I feel like we're getting back into the territory of of bloat and infinity bloat and the the factions losing their distinctions and all that kind of stuff identity is why we have different factions right yeah, like if they'd totally. all have the same identity they wouldn't be different factions totally i don't know it look yeah like looking back on the year with them they certainly have a lot more teeth to in my mind i Definitely. i get where ian's coming from that they're, they were good before, but, but, you know, Ian does have a little bit of the hipster in, in him. Whereas like, I, I like to run Merovingians. They're good also. And they are. Not... <laughs> and they'll so, be terrifying when they get a revamp. Yes. yes. I mean, I don't see them on the table enough, but I feel like they're fine. You don't, 
I feel like Marat's table enough fine. because people can't get the models. Yeah, that's I mean, probably that doesn't help a part of it. Sure. So, but okay. L- one last question before we put a bow on this: Any of the profiles um, that emerged? Um, do they sh- do you see feel like any of them show up on, in vanilla and made an impact not just as a sectorial but showed up in vanilla to a greater or lesser extent that uh, worthy of note? Dartox and Kytox, absolutely. And like I the, will throw in a lesser degree the Kiosot. I have never seen someone put a Kiosot on the table, but really? I believe you. Yeah, the Kiosot is. I mean, it's cool. I, I think it's a. It's to use a, a magic psychoprofile term for people that are familiar. It's a very uh, Timmy sort of unit. Like it's a really exciting thing to put on the table because you see that BS attack T2 and that's really cool and you wanted to do cool things. But I don't think that uh, that's something that will come up nearly as much as like a heavily optimized profile like the Dartok or the Kaitok, particularly the Chain Rifle variant, with how cheap and durable it is, with how much damage it can throw out and how many, uh, you know, how well it can fork arrows. Those are much more uh, Spike profiles, which Spike likes less random and more optimized things and is looking for, you know, how they can build something optimized. You know what I was a little surprised in is that the Raziat didn't get as much play as I thought it would when it got um a refresh I, I again you guys all know i love combat jump i love the toolkit mm-hmm. that the razia th- i'm sure we talked it up a bunch when we did a review and you know it's not like it doesn't get any play i've had to face it a few times for sure but not nearly as prevalent as i thought it would be um so it's a I don't fair know. investment for a one wound model it yeah. can do a lot, but if you get clipped by one bad arrow, I get that. Like that can be really punishing. Yeah, real. And that, now it has competition from the Tariot that's cheaper and can still be a specialist. Sure. Yeah, I think what may be worth reflecting on there is, I think that the this the two wound or pseudo two wound aspect of combat jump is the is the line of demarcation between just the cream of the crop drop troops and then a lot of other ones that are can be serviceable and good but there's something to having that extra wound when you on a premium drop troop um, well, also investing so many points that are not on the board uh, either to give you their initial order because a lot of times you know you don't want to drop first turn if you can help it I get that but I just don't feel like that's I've played with high point total drop troops and that's rarely a a factor for me, but I I mean, as far as, as far as one wound troops go, like I feel much better if I'm, if I'm throwing a 20 point Garuda drop troop versus a, you know, 34 point Raziat that are both specialists. That's a not insignificant difference yeah Raicho also got a lot of play a lot of play f- with the revamp like that was Raicho's kind of cool yeah super cool real fun i ian always loved that pro that tag from the beginning but then it just got better so that's that was fun to see okay we got to keep this thing rolling how about a uh, second topic for us the increase in faqs this has been a phenomenon that I think was a pleasant surprise, uh, a pleasant, and and I guess surprise being that it got to a point at the end of N three and then the beginning of N four where there just wasn't a lot of updates happening in terms of gameplay, um, and then this year the design team clearly made an intention that they were going to uh, regularly update the game. Uh, quite a bit more and in, in and as we pointed out in the more recent FAQ review from a few episodes back they even were going the extra um level of giving design team notes which is significant i'm curious what you guys your observations on all the FAQs that came out this year 
Yeah. I mean, it can only be positive, right? To have, I mean, maybe not only. That might be I a have too one definitive. that's a negative. I have one that's a negative, but go ahead. <laughs> I think that there is something to be said for how it changes the learning curve and how you reference rules in the game because the wiki is not updated at the, the speed of FAQs. Uh, so I'd like to see that. But generally speaking, I think it's great that there is more attention going into it, um, more clarifications, and definitely more design notes because knowing those intentions really goes a very long way into properly applying the rules as they're meant to be as intended. Absolutely. I think for me, if I were to say, here's a little bit of a drawback on the FAQ becoming increasingly important in interpreting and understanding the rules is that it almost decreases the importance of the, the actual rules, the rule book. And as you pointed out, like the wiki, um, which was always, since I came into the game, it was, that was always the thing that went, you got funneled towards to say, Hey, this is how you learn how to play the game is look it up on the wiki. Um, so I do think that was maybe an an unintended consequence that it just doesn't, doesn't feel like the rule book matters very much anymore. What do you think about that, Ian? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, like, do you really want to be funneling people to the FAQ? So, yes. And I'm only going to say this because uh, while I am a tactile, physical, want-the-book-in-my-hand kind of person, mm-hmm. uh, the rule book, the physical rule book is all but unnecessary at totally. this point. And it has been for you know all through N three for the most part, but now especially in N four, uh, with the revamped army and everything else, like it is practically unnecessary to have the physical rule book. Uh, the only reason to buy the physical rule book at this point, because of some, how many changes there are with the FAQs and stuff, is if you want the lore book that it's packaged with. That's yeah. the only reason to have it, because at this point, with the way that CB has been giving the rule book PDF out for free from their website. They do not care about selling the rules. They care about selling the models. So they're providing those rules to the community for free. It's now moved into being more of a living rule set with the way the FAQs are working in in conjunction with the wiki. Uh, There could still be some better integration between the two as far as after the um, FAQs come out, getting that updated into the wiki in a more timely fashion. It's a work in progress. But it's moved into this more of a living rule book set from where it was. And honestly, I think that's fantastic. You don't need the rule book. Uh, yeah, it's great to download that PDF for some of the details because uh, some of the ways that uh, things are laid out in there as far as like some of the uh, equipment and weapon tables visually might be a little helpful seeing on like one page, whereas uh, you don't necessarily get the, that same view on the wiki, uh, depending on how they've broken up their their links between things. But all the information is there between the wiki and the FAQs. Yeah, um, I don't get me wrong. I love the the living rule book. I guess I'm just saying I think it could get really crazy confusing for a new player. You're, you're going to mm-hmm. come into the game, and of course you're going to at minimum download the rules. And then the FAQs are in, in many places, they're completely rewriting the rules. It's not just like a yeah. clarifying of the game. It's a complete rework of the rules. And I just would assume maybe I'm, maybe I'm just naive about this, but I was assume you just go back through and at minimum update the wiki, if not also even update the design of the, pdf but maybe that's just crazy i agree with you i agree with you that that would be ideal is if they folded the 
FAQ changes into the main rulebook PDF to keep that current, that would be absolutely ideal. I think that that is a level of work that they don't necessarily have interest in in doing because sure. you know it, it, tedious there, there's stuff. A, yeah, tedious. There's it, it's time consuming. Uh, you know, it, it's not something that necessarily they need to do. Although it would be ideal. I get that. Um, I listen. I by and large, I'm I'm not griping about the the whole thing. I love the up more frequent updating of the FAQ, and also an updating of the Army app with profiles and adjustments and points. And it just feels like a more modern game that way. If you play yes. anything online, there's the design team is all like is constantly updating their games um like adjusting as the meta adjusts and i think in many ways that keeps things fresh and it doesn't become too rote if something gets out of hand or skews in a direction that they feel like is unhealthy for the game itself i love that they're able to pivot and rein it in um gosh it's just so so illustrative to see what happened with andromeda for instance she she gets redesigned and become so effective and so powerful anyone who had access to her um she's an auto include in any faction and that was showing up at all the tournaments regionally and then just a a little pivot with her just a slight tweak and it's not like she's not good anymore she's very good but she just doesn't have nearly the same auto include yeah, and I just she, love that. She's a choice, not the choice. Yeah, she's a viable choice without being an obvious like you have to take yeah. her. Now, and, and on the the living rule set and the the rule book and all that, um, for better or worse, this game is something that is best learned from another player. Uh, reading the rules on your own and trying, which is, this is the worst part, but reading the rules on your own. You know, trying to get a couple of guys together that have never played, um, it's going to be tough. You know, having a veteran that's played and has been around for a while to teach that is going to be the most ideal way. Obviously, it's not going to be uh, possible in every circumstance, but that is kind of the level of complexity and interaction with this game is that you you kind of need somebody that knows the rules, at least to a fair degree, to get new players started. Yeah. It's just very dense on its own. Yeah. Yeah. I think that my ideal vision would be that the, the PDF rulebook is, is nice. I, I think it's, it's great that they distributed freely. That's awesome. But I think that the wiki should be the source of truth. And I think the FAQs should be folded into it instead. Instead, there just don't need to be FAQ documents. Just put it in the wiki. And that there should be releases yeah. talk, of change talk logs. about redundancy. Yeah, you're so right. Why didn't I even think about that? Like that's totally true. There's zero reason to have an FAQ if you can just provide updates on the wiki. Now, I think it's great that more recently they've been doing uh, versions. So, like you can see, okay, here's the current rule, and you can check, you know, pre 1.3 update. Here was the previous rule. Which I think is awesome. Uh, I think that that's one. It's a good, it's a good indicator to show that something had changed. And two, I think that there's something to be said for kind of, um, kind of glass boxing rule sets where you can go back to it. And if you know, if we have some curmudgeony players in another five years that are like, you know what, and five, six, whatever version we're on sucks. I want to play N four. And that could still be there. And I, I think that that's a really interesting thing if they were to build onto that. I don't but know. I, think, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think so either. But I think that the possibility of that is interesting to me, where you can kind of package a rule set, kind of like um, like an easier method of like Dungeons and Dragons, for instance. Like if somebody did, you know, didn't like a an edition for whatever reason, they can go back to their books for X edition instead and play that. and do what they enjoy and that's cool but I, I, yeah I, I like the idea of like a change log yes for the wiki for sure like an, a, mm-hmm. a a catalog i don't know i don't know about yeah. 
I don't think it's necessary by any stretch to preserve additions in that way. And then they haven't as far as like N3 or prior, like it's all N4 and this is all, um, you know, just modifications on the N4 framework. But yeah, I think that the wiki would be the place to kind of have all rules changes. I think that the PDF rulebook can probably go away in all honesty. Yeah. Because totally. the problem the problem is that you can't update it nearly as easily. Like you have to you have to fit all the verbiage, but then you have to re-go you have to go through layout again, you have to go through editing again, you have to go through all of this process to, you know, change all of your tables of contents and rebookmark things and 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 uh, so I think that that's much less feasible and much more intensive. Whereas if it was just the wiki, then that's that's just the text. It doesn't have to be you know, ornately wrapped. Like it can be just text and some example pictures, like it is, and that's fine. That's more totally. than serviceable. Totally. Um, but I think the onboarding is what would really help more. Because, like Ian was saying, that without someone who's already confident with the rules, it can be difficult to get on and i don't feel like code one is a particularly successful adaptation of really that did get lost in the shuffle and covid for sure okay i gotta keep us rolling because we got another big one that i have a feeling we could have a lot to talk about or maybe not maybe we'll just say good but a, a big change was fire team rules getting revamped that i think that was long looked for ian thoughts on the fire team rules oh absolutely um you know, there was a prevalence in faction building towards certain fire teams. And at a basic level, it was things like a ballistic skill 13 or higher model with a high burst weapon like a Spitfire and HMG with four cheap line troops to provide bonuses. You might, you know, swap one of those guys out to be a specialist of some sort for, you know, to do objectives as you're moving up the board, killing everything. But this was something that, you know, you saw in pretty much every faction, especially with wild cards and things like that. And this, you know, there, there was a change because, you know, when you go back to N2 and then, you know, for most of N3, fire teams were, mono units unless you had units that counted as that could join and then you know they started adding you know there was a very small number to start of wild cards and then that started growing over time and then the units themselves almost stopped ceasing to matter for fire team composition because it just had grown so much so you end up with things like uh like what i just described or you know the what was the big boogeyman for a while, which was the um, uh, Varuna, the Varuna the Kamau sniper. sniper. You know, up in a tower with his four, you know, four Fusilier buddies or whatever, just knocking out things at range, and it was just very hard to take care of without certain specific tools to maneuver around him. So, in an effort to kind of deal with that and find a middle ground between the flavorfulness of you know this one unit works together and the kind of the flexibility of the free-for-all that it ended up becoming over time the new fire team changes of here's your list of teams here's guys that can be in them some you know you can mix and match to some degree but you may or may not get your full fire team bonuses because before it didn't matter uh, what the guys were at a point. It just mattered that how many of them you had and you got all the bonuses for however many people were there in. And now with the composition of these guys are all the same or have the right labels to be the same. They're awesome. They get all the bonuses versus, oh, I want to take that super awesome guy and give him four cheap guys to give him bonuses, I can still do that in many cases, but he gets lesser bonuses, but I can still do that 
one good guy with four cheap guys thing in a lot of cases. So I think it was a good balance factor. I think that it... They had a lot of, like, different constituents and different factors that they're that they're juggling right yes um because you couldn't just roll back the clock to the 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 days of the fusey link and that was that was all that went in it you know wild cards Mm -hmm. were generally a good addition just maybe too powerful maybe too flexible so and the and the power of links in general were to create these flexible, efficient options. It just got, it kind of got away from them. It's still a little, it's still a little bit of a clunky, like mechanic. I I don't know. A little bit. I think it's, I think it's better now, but it's, it's the fact that the, you know, very few people were arguing for a full rollback to, you know, N2 early N3 versions. Mm-hmm. Everybody, for the most part, seemed to enjoy some of the flexibility, some of the getting to, to have options. Uh, but it was the how powerful that got and how easily it could be done for you know, super cheap in many yeah. cases. And so mm-hmm. by doing this, it's it it, it kind of hits the best of all the areas where you can do that. You have your super cheap team with a super cool guy, but you don't get all the bonuses. Or you can go full mono team and get all the bonuses, but it's going to be expensive. So it it hits both areas. And I think that design-wise, it was probably the best option they could go with, considering how clunky fire teams are at their basic level anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, that's another thing that kind of falls back into the previous point a little bit. The rules annex, that also should be folded in. Like, it doesn't need to be a separate document. It's a living rule set. You can change it whenever you want. Yeah. Uh, so having the fire teams live in their own document is also kind of odd to me. Or you know, they what can was just lose the annex, and then we don't have to deal with... Yeah, there, you, there it is. <laughs> Fixed. In my opinion, I don't know what you think, Devin, but in my opinion, my my favorite uh, change that they made was how they integrated it into the app. Um, the ability yes. to like look at the chart and and identify who's in groups. It, I think that was really great. Um, I don't I know. Do it, you have any thoughts on that? I honestly, I think it was necessary. Like, I'm so happy to see the movement away from the sectorial chart images that was that was really important because it was just another clunky thing to reference the more things that can be referenced from the same location the better Uh, same philosophy with with the wiki but yeah i i think that i don't think they have the fire team bonuses in the app which luckily you know i remember them well enough but i know a lot of people ask for that as well and i think that that would be beneficial to actually have the bonuses in the app also Um, and there's also enough things in that one chart because that button in in mobile army is every chart so it'd be nice to kind of break that up a little bit more uh maybe just have a fire team button for the the options and the yeah bonuses that's the way to do it yeah but yeah i think that largely it was successful at tempering fire teams without removing choice which i think is great um in fact you make choice even more important right yeah the only i think as relatively minor as it is i think my biggest gripe is that i have to remember plus one and plus two bonuses when i'm used to counting everything in threes (laughs) it's like wait what's your ballistic skill again (laughs) i'll also say that um with the fire team charts in the app instead of on their own like PDF, I have encountered drastically fewer instances of people trying to field illegal fire teams. Yeah. I think it made Harris teams much more important too. Because yeah. Harris teams are essentially not penalized for being mixed. Like you don't get a bonus, but it's a bonus they never had. 
So yeah. I think a lot of times it doesn't feel like you're losing anything. And plus three discover is useful, but it's not something you're going to be using all the time. And it was part of the five man bonus before. So like Harris has never had it before this change. Right, exactly. So yeah, I think that it has been an interesting set of changes to fire teams that have overall been pretty positive. Yeah, we give a two thumbs up, I think. <clears throat> okay. And then finally, final topic, uh, bookending the Morat revamp. We got another revamp of Steel Phalanx that came in the wrappings of Operation Blackwind with, along with Hassassins. So since, uh, Devin, you are the, the preeminent Steel Phalanx player in our podcast, you can take your first crack at your thoughts on this reboot as well. Ooh, preeminent. Well, uh, <laughs> one of four dudes. <laughs> well, um, yeah, way to take that compliment back. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it's it's been interesting. It is not necessarily the direction that I would have expected. It's it's almost like the Marats in a way where it was more of an expansion on what they can do as opposed to further pushing what they already do. So more midfield, more um, anti-close combat versus close combat units, um, you know, more toolbox units. Um, you know, there's a little bit of infiltration in the faction again. Well, I guess there always was some, but there's a little more and there's more forward deployment. Uh, and things like that. Um, it was interesting to see the fire team changes as well, how it affected them. Uh, they actually did get a noticeable bonus from having uh, composed four-member teams for their cores. So that's actually pretty interesting to see. Uh, but their hacking game got much better. You don't have to explain to people what Enomatarkos is. That's true. It's like, I've got, I've got almost cores. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was interesting to see the reimagining of a couple units. It was sad to see a couple units go. Um, but yeah, I think that it just added some options that made them a little more varied and kind of opened up avenues for them to play in. Because uh, I think that there's kind of a specific expectation when you're playing Phalanx, and that's that you're probably going to see probably two-ish fire teams, probably Myrmidons. There's going to be a lot of mimetism and spoke, and they're going to come hit you with their swords. And that's kind of what they do. But they are a lot more than that as well, which I think is nice. There's still some units I haven't gotten a chance to play with, um, but I've been working on that in-between games with Tunguska. But yeah, I I overall like it. It's not necessarily everything I would have wanted, and that's a discussion for another time, I suppose. But I think it's definitely I don't interesting. Know if not now, when? <laughs> I mean, if not now, uh, I don't know if we have enough episode left. Yeah, we don't time. We don't time have to. What do you think? We can't let Devin get going on redesigning Steel Phalanx just after they nope. got redesigned. So... <laughs> What do you think, Ian? Are you in favor of what happened with Steel Phalanx? Was it successful? Or? Yeah, I think it was good. Uh, I think, you know, the, the newness they got, awesome. The tag, very flavorful. Um, the um, I like the uh, look of them. Can I just yeah. say that? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I never liked the Thoracotai. I hated them. Um, the new design of Thoracotai is awesome. I All the shields. I love That's the shields, it. man. I like, don't know why. So cool, yeah. It's a stupid futuristic game. Like, why would they have shields? But I freaking love the Spartan shield. Yeah. Uh, so I think that was it. great. The That's... hoplites look fantastic for the models. I like the profile as well. Uh, I'll fight people over that one. Uh, but the thing we didn't mention is the other half of Blackwind, which was the Assassins. Mm -hmm. And while they weren't as drastic of a change as what happened with Steel Phalanx. Uh, Hassassin's got some new toys uh, with the Boktar and the Sundukbut. And 
some different options on their profiles. Uh, the new units, they're pricey. They're fun. They're pricey. What actually interested me more with uh, Assassins was some of the stuff they got in their other profiles, specifically the Ayer getting hidden deployment profiles without having mimetism minus six. Yeah, that was a big thing across the board, both in both factions Mm -hmm. and new to the game, real new to the game. So I, I hear you on that, Ian. I don't, I just don't know if like the changes for Hassassins felt, it didn't feel systemic or that novel in, in the way they play. I feel like when no, yeah, feature- it was much more subtle than what was happened with steel failings, but yeah. there are some significant changes there. Yeah. I, th- I think you bringing up the hidden deployment model that doesn't have, um, like mimetism, mimetism. That's a, that's a big thing that is interesting oh. and layers and new wrinkles for gameplay. So good kudos to that on you on that. It really expanded their top end significantly like the elite models that Hassassin can bring to bear i mean practically doubled with this release as far as if you want to kind of play with the expensive toys they now have expensive toys they also got mcmurrow which is not that's expensive, but <laughs> but they that's got mcmurrow wild they got uh, strange Pandora. are you guys gonna tell me there's a like a logic fluff wise for them to have mcmurrow there is. But there is? I don't want to hear it. <sighs> I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. I Actually, don't know. There probably is. I will say this. The, the, the thing that impacted me most about all of this is something I hated, and that was losing Diomedes. That yes. was the worst. <laughs> it's unfortunate. It's so sad. R.I.P. Diomedes. Yep. Boring one out again. Okay. Well, we got to um, wrap up. I figured we'd close out by looking at. Listen, it's not a year-end review if you don't start looking forward uh, into the new year. And we're gonna, everyone's gonna be doing their New Year's resolutions soon, and then failing at them. But I, do you guys have any uh, goals for the new year as it relates to Infinity? Do you have one that you're gonna go on record with? Yeah, I think for me, it's it feels a little cliche in the wargaming world, but I want to finish painting all of my Tunguska. And if I'm feeling really ambitious, I might paint all of the new uh, Phalanx stuff as it comes out, because I've been playing a couple games of them here and there in between stuff, like I'd mentioned earlier. So if I can paint both of those this year, that'd be really cool. So I'm going to try yeah, for I don't that. think it's that cliche. Listen... I wish I had the chutzpah to make that claim for myself to getting a lot of painting done. I, I don't have it right now. I don't feel <laughs> confident there. I think for me, mine would be, I really want to get back to playing uh, local tournaments. I just haven't played almost any this whole year, maybe two out of probably 12. So that just feels like such a shame. Um, so I would like to be able to see my schedule free up on Saturdays where I'm not gone or doing something and get back to local tournaments that there's a, that's such a big part of the lifeblood of the community. Like the, the week weeknight games are really the heart and soul, but I do love those local tournaments and that's um, I want to get back to that. So how about you, Ian, you got a, a new year's resolution. I'm going to take both of yours and combine them. And that, uh, so I'm playing Forco because the community voted on it. I'm having fun. I'm actually been enjoying them a lot. Uh, was a little unsure, but like they're really growing on me fast. And, uh, yeah, I want to play more tournaments with painted Forco. Oh, there it is. Ambitious. I would love for you to show the world that Forco make, make Forco great again or for the first time. So, um, I recently (laughs) played a uh, game of uh, Frostbite against uh, one of our locals, uh, Josh. He's quite good, and he generally plays Tohar Combined Army. He's playing Combined Army, and uh, I realized 
after we started setting up that I forgot to bring specialists to flip on heating units. That'll be a thing. It's important. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But what I did remember was to take all the stuff that doesn't die when it gets hit by the cold zone. So uh, we played the game and no heating units got turned on. And I ended up uh, beating him seven to zero, which was absolutely unexpected. Uh, it was just a great game. We had both had so much fun, but uh, yeah, they're really growing on me, and I think there's a lot of potential in that faction. All right, we're gonna have to dig into that a little bit more in future episode. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let's wrap this up. Uh, let's and uh, just get your thought final thoughts together. But before we do that, we want to remind you, our listeners, of Patreon. You can support the podcast by, by becoming a patron. Not only does it help us add up, but it grants you uh, benefits to like early access um, to the podcast and a bunch of other things. So 100% of any funds you give to us gets put right back into the podcast. We promise that. Find a link to our link to our Patreon page in the show notes, as well as a link to our Discord channel where you can come join our uh, increasingly growing and active community. With that said, Devin, Ian, what are your final thoughts? Devin first. Yeah, I think that for a lot of people in many different aspects, that the pandemic was very isolating, very discouraging, uh, and it was a hard time for a lot of people. And I think that at least for myself, uh, you know, not everybody, of course, but I know that infinity is a big part of my personal social circles. And so it's been really heartening to see the resurgence of that and kind of come back with a lot of new life and new excitement. And that's probably the biggest thing I'm looking forward to next year is seeing a lot of these newer members uh, continue to explore the game, to find new things, to uh, learn more lessons. And yeah, also that there's you know more attention from Corvus Belly kind of focusing on the game, trying to streamline the experience as much, much as possible, making it fun and interesting and continue to deliver an experience that all of us continue to, to share and enjoy. Yeah, I love that. How about you, Ian? Final thought? Yeah, I think it's been an interesting year overall with Infinity. And, you know, there's been a lot of changes, uh, both in the game, in the community around the game. And I think that uh, we're kind of moving back into some semblance of stability and normality in many degrees and uh, getting a lot of new players discovering the game and interested in joining in. So that's been a lot of fun uh, helping out some of these new guys here and there with different things like, you know, the escalation league and uh, just, you know, general off the cuff games kind of stuff. So looking forward to that increasing over the next year, hoping that, you know, we can get back to really thriving, vibrant community that, we used to have. And I think the potential is there if we just, you know, keep our eye on the ball and push for it. Yeah. I think um, for my final thought, kind of piggybacks on yours there, Ian, and that's just the importance of these regional tournaments and the regional tournament scene. And yeah, it was, it was a, one of the disappointing things from this last year was losing rumble. Uh, it got tabled for a couple years because of COVID, uh, understandably, as all our tournaments did. But when we kind of realized, yeah, there was no more rumble for us, um, that that stings a bit because there was a tentpole um, tournament and kind of anchored one of the local regional metas. But it also just gained a lot of renown around the world for being so large and robust and just set a tone setter, trendsetter. Um, that said, 
encouraged to see that the folks down in New Mexico are doing what they can to begin to reboot the regional scene. They've got something in the works that we're going to be kind of reporting out on um, from the podcast, uh, letting everyone know when that's coming up in future in the future. But I really want to wish them the best, um, Mike and some of the other guys down there. Um, hope we can get something back off the ground. And really, um, with real intention, I hope we can see um, attendance begin to rise again at these regional um, events. Um, so that will go a long way to helping flourish a robust sense of community, even as it trickles down to our local scene. So, um, yeah, that's my hope for the year 2023. On that note, on behalf of the podcast, this has been Andrew. Devin. Ian. That's the meta.